feeling good. I'm feeling clean. I'm feeling fresh, Patrick. I am feeling manscaped. It may be a little bit TMI for some out there, but it is important. It makes you feel fresh. It makes you feel clean. It makes you feel like the best version of yourself. You're going to love it. Whoever's taking care of you is going to love it. And I'll tell you what, it extends to dad and whoever's taking care of dad. This is a gift for dad and potentially mom as well coming up here for Father's Day. You know we're talking about getting Manscaped and using that promo code DNVR20 at Manscaped.com so you get 20% off plus free shipping of everything that comes in the Perfect Package 3.0 kit. Not just the Lawnmower 3.0, which I will tell you is an absolute gem of a piece of equipment allows you to take care of your pieces of equipment without any damage to it you can do a nice thorough job because you've got an led light down there takes care of all of those dark corners you may find yourself coming across but not only can you get yourself shaped up you can get yourself really fresh and smelling good with the deodorant that comes with it with the crop preserver with the spritzer refreshing spray that comes and the reduced chafing athletic and remarkably comfortable boxer briefs i'm telling you it is the perfect package for your and your dad's perfect package so get that whole opportunity at manscaped.com get yourself shaved up you get the free gift shed travel bag that's a 39 dollars value totally for free plus free shipping and 20 percent off the whole thing when you use code dnvr20 and again that is at manscaped.com and go in the air deep right center go. field is high in the air, deep left field. Take a good look, you won't see it for long. I don't want to lose your love tonight. Yeah, feeling it. Welcome into the DNVR Rockies podcast presented by Strava Craft Coffee. I've got some right here. It's rich and infused with CBD. It is wonderfully delicious. It doesn't come with most of the side effects that you're going to get from coffee. And they are presenting you today's Rockies podcast. If you use that code DNVR20, you'll get 20% off your entire purchase. I am your host, Drew Creaseman. I am the managing editor of DNVR Rockies. With me is our guy, Patrick Lyons. Beat writer here, of course, at DNVR Rockies, and we have got a lot of Ken Griffey Jr. talk to get to today. I don't care what fan uh, a baseball team you consider yourself a fan of primarily. Anybody who grew up with baseball in the 90s the way we did was a Ken Griffey Jr. fan, uh, and if you're not a Ken Griffey Jr. fan, hopefully you will be by the end of today's podcast. Just one of the treasures of the game. There was a network, uh, MLB Network documentary about him recently we want to talk about that we want to talk about some of our own memories with Griffey a little bit about you know his history with the Rockies which there wasn't a ton but there's some in there and just celebrate one of the most incredible careers that any of us have gotten to witness but Patrick before we do all that we've got news there's always there's always a little bit of news and uh you know we, we want to start 
hopefully we're, we're going to be able to start every podcast from here on out with news because there should be some. It sounds like, very likely, very possibly, quite probably, there will be baseball. Ellipses, question mark. Exactly. Yes. Right. It's very confusing for for anyone fan out there or anyone who's you know barely even a, a sports fanatic to keep tabs on everything you hear that the players reject a proposal by the owners so of course that means we're going to have a season what okay we're right. going to have a season <laughs> so baseball is back but no the players still have to approve the health and safety protocols they still have to be able to report to camp on July 1st so it's it's a still confusing time and and also mixed in with that is the fact that it seems like the universal DH, while not a part of the original March 26th agreement, has been slipped in with the health and safety protocols. It's much like in in, uh, in D.C. when, when things go, go in with a bill. Well, it's not just a bill for this. We're going to throw some other things inside right. of that and it becomes somewhat complicated. So I guess having a DH is somewhat of a... Of a uh, a safety a protocol that that alleviates some concern because now instead of having pitchers, you know, have to pick up a bat, they can kind of take that time, rest, relax. As again, they're only going to have about three weeks to get into their spring slash summer training. So it'll be nice to see that that we should have the universal DH, albeit it will may only be for 2020 and not 2021 and beyond. Yeah, this this let so this let's back up one <laughs> one step. Say this statement is strange. As as we were going off our live show yesterday, it was reported that the players had rejected the offer that was on the table, which we were expecting to happen. We were kind of hoping it wouldn't. Um, and and we'll get into. I think both of us think that at least in the immediacy, the players may have taken a slight misstep by rejecting that offer. We'll get back to that in a second. But uh, what Patrick is talking about here is that basically upon doing that, it put the decision in the hands of the commissioner and to some degree thereby the owners. Uh, and they released this statement, the, the first of which I'm not going to read because it's just a reiteration of what the negotiations have been about to this point. The final part is really where we stand now. And it, how you choose to interpret, interpret this, you know, may vary. This, this is very interestingly worded. I've, I've read this 20 times now, and I'm still not 100% sure where they're going. But in view of the rejection, right, first they laid out all the things that were on the table. In view of the rejection of all of this, the MLB clubs have unanimously voted to proceed with the 2020 season under the terms of the March 26th agreement. That right there is a fully loaded statement, to use a wrestling term. It is, it makes it sound like what they're going to do is what's been agreed upon from the beginning, which is what the players wanted to do. The problem is what was agreed upon in March on March 26th is very much at issue between the two sides. So... We don't know exactly what they mean. We, we presume they mean their interpretation of the agreement on March 26th. But that's, you know, that's difficult. And then they say the provisions listed above will not be operative. And that's what Patrick was talking about. The DH, uh, an extra $25 million in playoff pool money. Uh, there were some salary advances that had been agreed to. 
Uh, I think there was even a, a 104% of prorated salary. So the players aren't going to get these things because they rejected this offer. And actually, Trevor Bauer sent out a tweet last night kind of upset about this for some of the reasons why I think in, in the immediacy they're, they're going to have a tough time winning this battle, is that basically one way to look at it is that the players you know, sort of didn't take a, a decent amount of money in some of these guarantees also that they could maintain their right to file suit against Major League Baseball, file a grievance against Major League Baseball if they feel it necessary. Absolutely. Yeah, they're they're foregoing about $57 million of salary now for the potential to gain all of that and then some in the next CBA. So it's it's very much and, and ultimately what part of some of the grievance could be is that they agreed upon something on March 26 and ultimately they could have been up and running. We could have had games coming up possibly as early as this weekend, I know the 4th of July weekend was, was the one that was kind of, you know, things were pointing to, but, you know, had had teams kind of officially gone back, like they, they may in the next week, had officially gone back at the beginning of June as they had expected, there would have been more games. But again, the thing that they couldn't agree on, or rather the things the owners uh, couldn't quite agree on in regards to sticking to the agreement was, hey, if it's prorated, all right, well, let's see if we can squeeze in half of the season. Well, that half of the season cost the owners X amount of dollars, and they simply did not want to pay that. So instead of working something out that would uh, allow them to save money, the, the players, in, in, in taking that, they, they ultimately would have been taking a, a worse deal that would have been better for the owners. So the owners say, all right, well, let's just slow play this thing out, and then we'll force the commissioner to you know, have this mandate, and we'll still kind of get what we want. And I think that's that's you know the thing that can be you know lost sight is is there's a much bigger picture in it for the players, unfortunately, and and that's why it sounds weird that they rejected something yet there still may be a season and it's again it's it's looking to the future at at things, and and it's it was really all about the the owners just trying to save as much money as possible now, and really using that you know, to, to beat down the players in the next CBA to save even more money. And ultimately the players said, no, you're, you're not going to do that. We'll take the hit right now. We will take the hit in the short term. Right. And, and I want to say as a caveat as we move forward here, and it's unfortunate that these things bump up against what might be considered politics or sometimes they're going to start to get it kind of foundational beliefs. And so I'll, I'll say and then just kind of leave a statement here that I do not believe that any employee should ever under any circumstances waive their right to file a grievance against their employer i think that is poor practice and so i understand where the players are coming from on principle um i do think it's a hard argument to win in the public eye when you look at these numbers like you just said they they were offered quite a bit more money they were offered even more than just straight up pro rata right 104 percent, which isn't that much more but still it's it's more Concessions were definitely made here. Um, the, the biggest thing uh, about the, the statement that I read before I move on to the next part of it, the provisions listed above will not be operative. Was this written by a robot? I, I, I've, I've come around to your interpretation of it as well, that we're not having these things. But first of all, that doesn't make sense. 
Why, now, the, the money, sure. They don't get their money. They don't get their playoff pool. The players don't get the things they wanted, sure. What does the universal DH have to do with anything? Why would we all of a sudden not have, I guess it's another job. Is that, what a, what a smart, if that's the only reason, that is such a punitive reason to say there won't be a universal DH because that's a thing that's coming anyway. It's a thing that seems to be like a health provision as much as anything else um, in these times. So it's like, what, why would, because the players won't do these things, like impose what you want. And, and I could still see the owners doing this. I, there's still, I think, a read on this where they take away all the stuff they didn't want to, but we still have universal DH. Why wouldn't we? Why would that be a bargaining chip here? So I think the back and forth between the players and the owners, you know, it, it, it showed a lot more of the owner's hand than the players. I think the players, their hand showed that they were unified. Yeah, there are people that, like Trevor Bauer, who who go to social media and, and speak out maybe uh, against their union or just kind of, you know, question maybe some of the leadership, and that's going to happen. That's, that's fine. Um, but I think they're more in the minority, and the players are unified. But the owners showed their hand in, in, in many ways, and I think, right. you know, the owners said, hey, we want expanded postseason. Okay, well, that's going to – that means you're going to make X amount of dollars, and that's something that you want. Well, we need to get back something that we want. And so I think the owner said, okay, well, well, we'll add the universal DH. And this is all after the March 26th agreement. So, hey, we'll add universal DH, and that will be good for you guys. And they said, well, you know what? I don't, ultimately, I think they don't feel that that is a, a fair swap. And that, it's, okay. It's not. And it's like, okay, you know what? Right, it's because it's not. Yeah, if, if again, in, in the big business, in, in the grand scheme of things, the owners are going to have to decide amongst themselves to add the universal DH because it is simply maybe better for the game. So the, right. so the players can get that without you know having to exchange and say, well, if you give us the 100%. universal DH, you know, we'll give you this. No, no, you're, you're going to have to just give us that. If you want to give it to us, great. If not, that's fine. But if you want to institute that, don't count that against us. Like we shouldn't have to pay a tax on that. So right. that's part of the, the, the players, you know, really being unified and, again, saying, okay, we'll, we'll negotiate that later going forward. And, and that would be a, a good thing ultimately for, for the union to create more jobs. It doesn't create another roster space, but it does, you know, think about how the Rockies offseason may have been different, maybe going out and, and getting a, a veteran player that they know is going to be a DH. Or how many teams in the NL would just simply say, let's take a shot on this guy. He's a little burlier. Uh, like J.D. Martinez is a guy that you go, I don't know, if can he still play the outfield? Well, we got the DH, don't we? We don't. We can right, kind of right, cross right. that bridge when we get to it. So now his price goes up because maybe the Cardinals and the Red Sox are both vying for JD Martinez. That means those contracts are going to go up, and it's it's again it's going to carry everybody up. So ultimately, I think that was so. To get back to initially why you brought this up, Drew, I think the reason why MLB put that out and say, hey, these things will not happen. That's all for the PR. That's all to say to the fans, hey. Look at what your guys, look at what your heroes, the Mike Trouts, the Garrett Coles, all those stars, Aaron Judge, they rejected this. They could have given this to you. And look at all this money that they rejected. Man, they, right? Aren't they the ones? Aren't they the silly ones? The billionaires said about the millionaires. And again, it's not something (laughs) Uh that I think fans are going to understand over time because there's just too many moving pieces. But 
I understand and, and respect what, what the players did and, and think ultimately in the long run that this will be better for them. Yeah. And I, I do want to say, and I've gotten some emails from some people, Rachel, I've gotten your emails. Um, a lot of the minutia of this I have particularly avoided and I've realized now that in so doing, I've left a lot of holes in the conversation. <clears throat> and what I'll say is this, the main reason for that has been a lot of the minutia has ended up completely and utterly irrelevant to the end game of this story. Some of it has not. So here's what I'll promise to all of you who, who asked questions. And this was happening in our staff slack last night. I, I basically just became uh, an answering board for everyone in, on, on DNBR staff about what's going on. <clears throat> here's what we'll do. When this thing is wrapped up, and, and I think, Patrick, you said this either on our Slack or on Twitter last night, too. When the first pitch is thrown at spring training and and the players are there, and I'll get into that in a second, um, then it, we can call at least this chapter of this thing over. And I'll feel very comfortable about the two of us doing a, an entire beginning-to-end timeline explanation uh, on the pieces that actually ended up mattering, what was the most important stuff, and and where are we now? Skipping that part of it, let me try to do my best to give you the where are we now, because that's the final statement here from Major League Baseball. The, the, I think the biggest question, you, you may be wondering about, you know, what's gone on, what is this all about, why is this happening, and We'll, we'll dive deeper into it once it's all over, I promise. But I think most people just want to know, what happens next? What do we do now? So first, crack open a Breck Brew. I got you, you need a beer for this. You, you need a beer for the possibilities. I've got my mile-high copper ready for me as soon as I'm done with this podcast and the Colorado Raptors podcast, by the way. Uh, you get the 15-can sampler. But if you're in the area, I strongly recommend swinging by the farmhouse down there at Breckenridge Brewery. Hello, I think we're back. <laughs> we have experienced some technical difficulties, but I think we uh, are unexperiencing them. Uh, we were just in the middle of saying, check out the farmhouse, use the code DNVR. You'll get five bucks off your beer and your food. Can't go wrong with that situation. Hopefully you'll be able to do so and take in a game of baseball here very soon. Under what conditions? I'm glad you asked, because this is the one part of this uh, statement from Major League Baseball that was actually clear. Here at the end, in order to produce a schedule with a specific number of games, we are asking that the Players Association provide to us by 5 p.m. Eastern Time tomorrow. So that's was 20 minutes ago as of me speaking, so we'll see what their response is, hopefully by the time we're done recording here. Um, two pieces of information. The first is whether the players will be able to report to camp within seven days by July 1st. That's not that far from now. At the same time, I think most players have been more or less keeping themselves in shape for a, a short turnaround. So, okay. And the second thing. Whether the Players Association will agree on the operating manual, which contains the health and safety protocols necessary to give us the best opportunity to conduct and complete our regular season and postseason. Therein lies Patrick's earlier ellipses and question mark. 
the players could decide as a collective not to agree to those health ramifications. And so in a Breckenridge-related stupor last night while answering questions from the staff, I laid it out thusly. I said, here's what can happen now. One, players can just say fine and show up on the first. That is an outcome, you know, and, and live to fight another day because they have their right to file a grievance. Maybe not on health-related things, which could become a sticky issue if you sign off on the health-related stuff and then they do some, like, really negligent things related to COVID. Your hands might be tied there. So that's... I could see the players sticking there. Uh, but yeah, the here are the options. They can just show up on the first. They can basically give them the middle finger and say, we will see you in court. And then there won't be a season with major league players this year. That seems incredibly unlikely, right? I it think does. we can agree that seems unlikely, but they do have that option. It, it's on the table. Um, the players could wait a long time. They could let this pass. They could say, we don't recognize your artificial deadline of 5 p.m. We'll tell you when we're going to show up. They can make the players start to panic, and we could legitimately see ourselves in a situation where there's talk of, like, replacement players or stuff like that. Because the way that Major League Baseball has set this up, they basically said, there's going to be a season. It starts July 29th. Spring training starts July 1st. Are you going to be there or not? <laughs> and we don't know. And if they're not, I don't know what happens. I think the players show up. I, I think they'll agree to it. And show and I don't up. think there's. I, I don't know that there's any way that you could have replacement players because in in there's 1995 just... when you had that, you know there was no CBA you know governing the game at that point. So there was that workaround. Whereas right now we do have it, and it's just. It's basically yeah. There's this grievance that's going to court. It's 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 very much like the the scene in the office where you've got Andy, Dwight, and Michael Scott all with their finger guns at one another, and it's <laughs> it's baseball, it's the players' association, and it's it's uh, some appellate court or something like that trying to figure it out. So that yeah, that doesn't doesn't seem likely either. But it could go that route. You're right. It it could go that route. And here's what I think is the most likely and saddest thing that's really going to happen is the players are going to come and play out the season, but they're going to do so under what is essentially an official or unofficial protest. They're, they're going to play out the season with everyone knowing full well that the second the last out is made in the last game that is played, the players are going to sue the pants off of Major League Baseball. And we're going to court one way or another. And I hope it doesn't come to that. I hope, I think there are things, and I wrote about one of those things that I think could happen in the meantime to to stop that from happening. And that would be if the commissioner was to resign. I think that would be a sign. Even if he's replaced by somebody who's just as bad, it's at least a sign to the players. We messed this up. Let's start over from square one. But I think this is the most likely scenario, Patrick players angrily play out this season under protest. Yeah, I I think life for them will be a lot normal during the season. I yeah, I, I, yeah the, the the anger will be there, right? You can forgive but not forget and I think you know the players are going to enjoy this forgiveness period of going back, doing their job, you know, 
being happy, feeling good, feeling strong, you know, excelling on the field of play and, and going back to the places that they love so much. And that's that's a baseball stadium, right? That's the ballpark. Yeah. So I think they will they will do that. And with with smiles on their faces, knowing full well, like you said, when they got the get the opportunity to file a grievance, they will do so. Now, I don't know if it will be this off season if they have the ability to wait and do that at the end of the next one. I, I don't know what the time period is. Sure. They can also just kind of use that, you know, uh, as, as as a chess piece to say, look, we, we could have a checkmate situation here, but I'm, we're not going to do it yet. Maybe I don't think they can come to a, a, a agreement on a new CBA uh, in advance uh, of next off season. I think there's there again, it's too complicated for anything like that, but it, it will be really interesting to see. And, and, and I think I said as much in our Slack too is, you know, I, I love the game of baseball for everything other than all of the legal ramifications yeah. that go into it. You like yeah. God bless Kurt flood. He should be in the hall of fame. And I've, I've read a book all about him, but if part of my job or in my entire job was understanding all of the legal ramifications and of the court system and, and, and unions and contracts and the reserve clause, all of those things, I would be so far away from the actual game and the history and all of those things. So, again, God bless anyone that, that is doing that and that can do that. And, and that's part totally. of our job, and, and we're doing that. But, man, it really – uh, it really loses is some of its fun to have to, to really go into the weeds on, on those things with this. It does. I, I made the joke in our, our Slack room about how, you know, like five years ago, Brandon hired me on my ability to watch and analyze a baseball game. And that's something I have not done in 10 months. <laughs> I hope he doesn't realize that anytime soon. <laughs> but, you know, yeah, it's like we've, the, we've become this. This is, this is what we've had to do for a little while. But hopefully... We'll be back to that other thing very, very soon. And if, uh, Drew, you want to keep your job like myself, you also better start studying for the bar. Got to study so, for the bar. Got to right, yep. get my classes in at MSU Denver. Uh, uh, MSU Denver Online's got you all set up. Uh, because if, if my boss wisens up and realizes that he's been paying me for 10 months to not watch and analyze baseball, which is what I was hired for, well, then I'll be all set up for my second career because I've gotten a lot of stuff done here at MSU Denver Online. Now, I've taken a couple of like music courses and things like that. May not be super useful for you, but whatever your field of study is, whether it's a, a new degree that you're starting out or if it's an old one you're trying to finish up or if it's not even related to your field of study it's a new skill a new trade you want to get into or hone especially now during this time when a lot of people are still in furlough or you may be looking for some new work msu denver online has got you covered it's an incredible education it's not just thrown together by facilities that are trying to figure out online for the first time right now it's super affordable, and so you don't have to worry about you know paying full university prices and not getting any of the things that come from a full university experience right now because you're just not going to be able to get those things. Go to the experts who know how to do online education. The folks over at MSU Denver Online have got you covered. msudenver.edu slash online. Check all of their courses and classes. Uh, 
before we get into, and, and I'm, I'm amazed, I have to say, I'm, I'm just saying, I'm impressed with our patience here. Because we would so much rather talk about Ken Griffey Jr. We know, that we know this other stuff is important. We have to dig into the weeds on it, and it's important, and everybody wants to know. But as we were just saying, we got we to gotta talk about our guy. But first, first, Patrick, we got to help the people fatten their wallets a little bit. Got to. Got to do it. So as everybody knows, we've been hooked up with our good friends over at DraftKings Sportsbook for a while. I'm sure you've all got the app downloaded. But we're also hooking you up with DraftKings Pick of the Week. So use the code DMVR, by the way, if you haven't downloaded that app yet. Make sure you do that because you can get a sign-up bonus up to like a 1000 bucks. Here we've got, as always, the ever-reliable Patrick Lyons Certified. DNVR Rockies DraftKings pick of the week. King Cash, as I've been referred to. The Lion King, King Cash. You know how it goes. This week's DraftKings pick of the week isn't going to be in the KBO. Uh, Rather, it's going to be in Japan. This Mm -hmm. week, we've welcomed back the Nippon Professional Baseball League, NPB, as it's known as in short. There uh, There are 12 teams in NPB. And with several with names that you are aware of, uh, we know there's been some great players that have come to America from this league. It's really the top international league. And this week's pick of the week is for the Yamayuri Giants. They play in Tokyo. Sometimes you'll see them as the Tokyo Giants. But they are the Yamayuri Giants as they are owned by the largest newspaper company in, uh, on the, the entire island. And right now they're 4-0. and Right, it's an early going, uh, but they do have their plus eighteen uh, in the run differential, scored twenty four, given up only six. Nice. They're playing the the Hiroshima Carp, and uh, who are who are two and two at this moment. But again, Tokyo is home, and yeah, boy, Gerardo Para, you might have seen a couple days ago, he hit his first home run of the season. So right now, gotta go with the Yamiuri Giants. Uh, right now at plus one thirty eight against. The carp tonight, tomorrow morning, depending on when you're listening to this. The poor carp. Game number five. We'll say it like that. and Now you'll know when it is. Game five roll. for the Giants. Giants could lot. go undefeated this year. <laughs> Everyone who gets para becomes a better team. That's science. Fact. That They're is... doing the baby shark over there already. Are they really? Yes. That's, it's, oh, I mean... it's been welcomed. Wait, are there? Do they have fans? I haven't seen the Je- the Japanese league yet. Do I don't they believe have, they. I don't believe they have fans yet. Okay, no, they're so they, they're working on that. Okay, all right. Do they have c- cutouts and sex dolls and stuff? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the KBO. You got a little bit of everything. <laughs> yes, so weird stuffed stuff animals. In the KBO man. Oh, I, I even I saw it. recently I'm, that uh, there was some orchestra that even played in front of like two thousand plants. It was actually very beautiful. You 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 know you see on on an overhead view the it's stage like on the left side yeah. on the right side you see all these you know green real green live plants you know with the red seat backings just behind them and yeah. uh, it was that was pretty neat so yeah. so maybe maybe plants maybe we'll get some of that. Let's see. Did you watch the greatest wrestling match ever? Did you did you check in on that WWE's quote unquote greatest wrestling match ever? I did not watch Adam. Edge Copeland against yeah. Randall K. Norton. Randall, or, Randall, K. I did Randall not, Keith Orton. It was not the greatest, though, I imagine, huh? It was a good match. Actually, it, it was quite good, um, considering all the overhype. But they piped in a bunch of crowd noise during it. And that... So so there's been talk about doing that in sports, and my first... Yes. 
um, experience with it was not a positive one. Uh, I, you know, there were times I was like, oh, okay, that's not as distracting as I thought it would be. But as the match went on, I was like, no. <laughs> yeah, the, and then you could see that there was nobody there clearly throughout well, right, the match. They're, right, they're, okay. they're, there's just a disconnect. And it hadn't been there for the whole show. That's the one thing I wonder. If it's there from the beginning of the broadcast, like if you flip on a basketball game or a baseball game and there's no one in the crowd, but from the beginning there's sort of ambient noise piped in and you don't try to make it sound like there's 10,000 or 20,000 people there. Like Maybe just try to make it sound like there's... 5,000 people and most of them are ordering hot dogs. If you just give me ambient noise, I'm good. But the fact that they tried to make it sound like there were thousands of highly engaged people there, when we could see that there weren't, it just too much of it. That's a disconnect. That's too much of a disconnect. You have to have some consistency. I think in certain shots, you can, you know, especially if, a, if you get John Gray, you know, striking um, Cody Bellinger out, and as you see him going back to the dugout, you know you 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 hear some some roar of the crowd, and you see John Gray, you know, a little satisfied, you know, with that backdoor curveball, he slides in there. You don't see really anything; you're just zoomed in on John Gray. You could get away with something like that. I even propose. I just thought of this: you could have some kind of green screen up in certain areas where it could give some kind of semblance. Uh, of of there being you know some some bodies there I don't know if that would work if just get a creative director who can cut to like shots of like major league like the crowd in major league erupting when they win like John Gray strikes a dude out and you just cut to people going ah! like Randy Quaid's at this game too what the <laughs> heck man he looks great though yeah phenomenal what's two K sports if you get the the folks over at two K sports to kind of figure out a way to to graphically design fans out there yeah you you won't even notice. That is, that is some truth right there. All right, we have got to get into some games where there were plenty of fans and there was plenty of hype and there was plenty of excitement and no one had to pretend about anything. And, Patrick, it is one of those guys from an era that's very near and dear to our hearts that you feel like you got to tell. If you weren't there, if you didn't see it, boy, did you miss out. On a thing, and, and we can look at the film and the highlights and the documentary all day, um, but it is one of those things that I feel like there's always going to be the stories that everyone's going to have their, you know, grippy moments that everyone's going to think about whatever way he intersected with their baseball watching fandom from that era, and he was a special special player that it's very difficult to summarize in any kind of way he was uh uh, in fact they got another one of those types of guys in this documentary to talk about him in bo jackson and it where it's like you can't look at stats It, it can help you should look at some stats you can't look at the highlight if you didn't see him day in and day out and understand the way the entire country responded when this young man took the baseball diamond uh it's unreal it's you you, you got to tell your kids the stories you can't just show them the highlight film yeah he he told Pinella, his manager in seattle quote i only play one way hard and with reckless abandon and one of the reasons you you know for some baseball fans you might not know all of the details and the entire story of Ken Griffey Jr. And that was because 
that way that he played the game, it ended up costing him some seasons, especially in Cincinnati, and he had so many injuries. There was a part of the MLB Network documentary last night, Junior, where you you see every season up, he only played this many. I think there was a a three-year stretch from, I want to say, 02 to 04, where he only played like 206 games for three seasons. That was it. So that, that was, you know... One of the saddest things to see is ultimately that he he was away from the field a lot more during that period than he was on, and and even you know ninety four, he's he's got forty home runs and he's he's going after Roger Maris's record, and then we have the strike. Then ninety five with a shortened season, he makes one of those Spider Man catches and he messes up his wrist and misses most of the season. We saw last Sunday, in fact, so a week. Before the, this junior documentary, there was the long gone summer about Maguire and Sosa. And one thing that was pointed out was that it wasn't Maguire Sosa at first. It was Maguire Griffey. Right. And Griffey was going after Maris's record in 98 as well. So he was that original guy. And you, you referenced Bo Jackson being in there. LeBron was in there as well, too. Right. Talking about, you know, how he makes the game of baseball cool. He absolutely did. He was the first baseball player with their, with his own signature line of sneakers and cleats. Which, Pull that pitch out. Yeah, I, I, I never had. <laughs> so, yeah, we're watching highlights. Uh, those of you that are listening at home on the podcast are a day or two later. It's one of the reasons why you want to tune in at 3 p.m. Mountain Standard Time because we've got a lot of uh, – We've got a lot of bells and whistles, uh, especially of the visual variety, as we watch some highlight clips from Griffey Jr. And no. the dude was no, amazing. <laughs> um, what were there any favorite parts to you uh, of the documentary uh, in in particular that that stood out as as you know something worth commenting on or something you didn't know? So I'm going to take the low hanging fruit here because it's both something I didn't know and something that anyone who knows me and knows my general inferiority complex about growing up here that I think I share with a lot of people who, and we would probably not always characterize it. I'll characterize it for myself as an inferiority complex. If you want to characterize it for yourself some other way, you can do that. But um, of feeling like our baseball wasn't important and the Yankees and New York baseball was the only thing that was important. And so when they get to the part in the documentary and what I love about this as most especially is because usually a reveal, I watch a lot of documentaries. I love them. I love, love, love documentaries because I like to learn and I'm not good at reading books. Um, (laughs) And so uh, usually you would see someone tell this story. It would be Griffey now saying, I never wanted to play for the Yankees because of this reason. And there's some of that. It, it is framed as him telling the story about him being in the dugout with his father and George Steinbrenner, or, or them being told that George Steinbrenner didn't want him in the dugout and that he had to go back to the clubhouse and his father telling him, look out at third base. And there is Greg Nettle's kid taking grounders at third, a white kid getting privilege. Imagine that. Um, and it's something that sticks with you and something we've talked about on this podcast and something that we've talked about at DNVR because it's become a part of our national conversation. It sticks with you as a young black man in this country. Um, 
those are the kinds of, of things you, you don't forget. And he carried that with him. But to see him explaining to those fans, those Yankees fans, it, to me it was the perfect symbol of Ken Griffey Jr. because he was so magnetic, so charismatic, so fun to watch play the game of baseball that the opposing fans would line up for autographs and say, come play for the Yanks, come play for the Yanks. And his initial dismiss, like his reasoning later when he sort of has back and forth with them is great, but I love my favorite. If I could take 10 seconds of the entire documentary and turn it into the gif of Ken Griffey Jr. It's that kid going, come to the Yanks, come to the Yanks. And he just goes, nah. So flippant and dismissive of like, no. And and then they think he's kind of just messing with them or whatever. And then he 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 gives it to him. He says, no, if, if you think I'm messing with you, you don't know me. If the Yankees, and this, of course, was the line that was, was going around. He says, if the Yankees were the only team to offer me a contract, I would retire. So, oh, I knew I loved this dude. <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I, I loved just learning about you know, Griffey's background more in, in depth, right? Of, of course, you know, he's he's the son of Ken Griffey, who won three World Series rings with the Reds, two as part of the, uh, the Big Red Machine, one in, in 1990 where, you know, he was he was ultimately released from that team but earned a ring. And, you know, having a, a dad who's the big leaguer and you go, oh, that, that's pretty special. But what you don't know is that, you know, where he ended up, Growing up, he didn't get to see his dad, especially when his dad, you know, left Cincinnati and and you know had to ply his trade in, in other cities around the U.S. You know, in the in the latter part of his career and what that meant, you know, being raised by a single mother ultimately, um, you know, born in Denora, Pennsylvania, the same town as Stan Musial. So you've got one yeah. small town in Pennsylvania with two Hall of Famers, two all-time greats, which is you know just absolutely bonkers to think about you know there's there's so much of of his father in him you know how he taped his bat he said that he his father instilled in him the, the hatred of the Yankees because of that moment that you mentioned there drew uh, with, with George Steinbrenner telling him you know to leave the dugout and you know it was it was really amazing just seeing a lot of the inner workings of stuff I, I thought they could have gone a lot deeper I even you know thought you could have had a documentary just on the season where he plays in this on the same team as his father. Did you hear this, folks? First, father and son to be on the exact same team. One is forty, one is twenty. That's insane, right? And they went back to back. You you can build the whole thing, uh, the documentary, to that moment. You, you're right. You could absolutely just do that story of father and son. September fourteenth. Ken Griffey uh, Sr. hits a, a three-run home run, and uh, and and hearing hearing Sr. talk about, it, he said, "I'm the only guy in the major league history that has to hear, you know, in the, in the on deck circle. Come on, Dad, like you know, it's just yeah. not gonna happen." Right. So there's a funny scene. Hey, who, you know, whose home run was was more impressive? And it's like, well, Sr. He had the easy job. He hit the home run. The pressure was on me. I was up. I had to now hit the home run in order for it to be back to back. So Griffey right. Jr. He goes opposite way. His went out quicker. Senior, his went out further. So it, it's it's a fun debate that they get to have, and it's just amazing to to think you know he goes one overall, 
and you know the, the best player in, in, in the nation in 1987, and then he makes it to the Hall of Fame. And to date, he's the only number one yeah. that, that that's ever been the case. So say what you will about Spencer Torkelson and, you know, <laughs> oh, man, you know, we look oh, forward Spence. 15 years and go, man, did the Tigers make the right pick? Yeah, they did. They mm-hmm. made the right pick. It's just inc- it's that hard from the, the top 1% of of athletes to to become a professional to the top one percent of that to be an all-star and the top one percent of that to be the greatest of all time and go down to cooperstown and be in that illustrious hall yeah yeah we we've talked about it a lot on this podcast especially in in terms of rockies but baseball it's built on disappointment it's it's going to disappoint you um nobody's perfect then just like you were talking about there's always hype around guys and first round picks and guys who are extraordinary athletes and dudes with natural swings and guys who are the next big thing. And in lots of sports that works out. LeBron was the next big thing. Next big thing. MJ was next big thing. Turned out that way. We, we, you know, a lot, sometimes we know. And in baseball, it's just such a lower percent. And so Griffey is this unicorn of like, Everyone said he was going to be great. Not only that, not just from like him being a prospect before getting drafted, but even like, as we mentioned, he's the son of a famous baseball player. He'd been in clubhouse before. Everybody knew who Ken Griffey Jr. was at the time he was six years old. And he was just expected to be great. And then he was. And then he just was. And the only time he ever wasn't was when he was hurt. It was the only times in his career that he wasn't this otherworldly thing that, that was promised and that it just never works out that way in baseball. You, you never get what you're promised. And we just were with Ken Griffey Jr. We got him, ladies and gentlemen, (laughs) we got him. Yeah. There, there was a part in the beginning. It says perfection doesn't last forever. And that's, that's so true. And, you know, it's, it's interesting to think that, you know, one of the, Certainly not a controversial moment, but a moment where he goes and and partially helps negotiate a trade to Cincinnati. You go, oh man, what about all those people back in Seattle? But you know, you learn in in this documentary that he wanted to go back to Cincinnati to be with his family. Like it was hard for him. Like he he just was unhappy, you know, living you know essentially halfway across the country in Seattle when his family was all located, you know, in, in southern Ohio like that. So. They worked out a, a, out a good deal, you know. Seattle, you know, did end up getting you know Brett Boone and, and Mike Cameron, so they they got a couple you know really good players out of the deal. But it was it was to be close to his family. Even yeah. you know when he goes to Seattle, he changes his number to thirty. That was his dad's number. Yeah. Then in two thousand six, he changes it to the number three. What's the significant significance of that? Well, he has three children. You know, and then you take it one step further. When he goes to the White Sox, he picks number seventeen. Why 17? No reason. He picked a number completely at random because he didn't want to be a distraction. Nick Swisher offered him up number 30 and said, hey, you're the kid. Take my number. He said, no, I don't, I don't want to be a distraction. Right. And then, again, gets traded back to Seattle, as we saw in these videos, and, and he finished his career, his career with the Seattle Mariners, the, the team that drafted him, that developed him, and you know, gave him his, his first home away from home. So... Uh, yeah, I really, I really like you know seeing that part of his, his character and, and that part of his personality because he was you know 
for all intents and purposes, the Michael Jordan of baseball at a time in which there there was no MJ. There was no oh this guy is so cool. You know, Mickey Mantle right. was a was a huge guy during that time. But I don't know if he if you know Mickey was ever the MJ of baseball. I think each city, you know, they, they had their guy at the time. But Griffey was the guy where no, I'm a Yankee fan, but yeah, no, I, I got a couple of Griffey jerseys or I have a Griffey poster in my room or I have swingman cleats. You know, he had, of course, numerous video games that came out. There was a montage of all the different commercials he had been in. So I had Ken Griffey Jr. baseball in the N64, like, and it was dope. It was, it came with like a little, when you ordered the game, it came with like a little pre, like auto pen, Ken Griffey Jr. signed fake baseball. Like everything about this dude was awesome. (laughs) He was everywhere. He was, you know, and. And you go back and, and look at some of the highlights, you know, it, they didn't even give really any time to the fact that uh, during the 1993 home run derby, he hits a home run off the building in right field at Camden Yards. You know, mm-hmm. he, I think he's still the only player to do that. He's uh, basically the, not basically, I think he was because it was very, you know, risque, if you will, to wear his cap backwards on a field. And after talking that was about, a huge controversy at the time. It, it seems was. so silly. But think about this. Can you name a player now that wears his hat backwards on the field? I no. mean, it no. may happen. It, yeah. It may, like, I'm literally trying to think. I mean, maybe right. Ryan McMahon maybe had it on backwards for like half a second, and then he turns it around. But like, even that doesn't feel right. Like, right. it's... But he could. He was able to do cargo that. doing it in BP. But yeah. Okay. Yeah. But cargo. But that's the level of swag you need. You have to have a Absolutely. minimum of cargo level of swag in order to to do that. Griffey like like set a standard almost. Like you have to earn the right. It, how funny did it go from being this how disrespectful to like <laughs> you have to earn the honor to turn your hat backwards. And, and imitate very, yeah. King Griffey Jr. <laughs> and very, very few have since then. Like I said, we're, yeah. we're struggling to find those names. I like the part where you, you saw in 95, you know, kind of breaks down, you know, what Seattle was able to do there. Uh, in fact, the thing that blew me away that I, I hadn't realized was that in um, 1991, the Mariners, you know, they made a big deal. Hey, they, we, they've won 82 games. You know, they did it right in the last week of the season. They had a 5-12 winning percentage. That was the first time that they had ever been over 500 since their yeah. inception in 1977 yeah. Yeah. was 91. They make the playoffs for the first time in 95 after Griffey goes down, gets injured, has three at-bats in Tacoma, flies himself back – or not back, but to Minnesota to say, okay, I'm ready. I'm not – I'm ah. done. And he steps immediately into the lineup. And as Jay Buhner said, like only he could do, goes on, scores the winning run from on an on a almost routine double – from first base, scores, hits two home runs in his first playoff game against the Yankees in Yankee Stadium, and it's like, wow, just just dominant, iconic. And he, in 97, wore the number 42 in honor of Jackie Robinson to help get that ball rolling. So now every year on April 15th, everybody wears 42 because of Ken Griffey Jr. Yeah, uh- there were a couple other things I wanted to say about this, um, but the biggest one for me is, is this, that there have been a few of these big documentaries lately, uh, as we talked about, and there was one on Michael Jordan, and that 
has sparked a conversation both amongst our staff and on several of our podcasts. And I think just out in the world about like, do you need to be a certain level of maniacal and destructive and essentially an ass to be great? And Ken Griffey Jr. has always been my favorite counterexample of that. Mike Trout is also, I think, a decent one. And they both have the baseball problem of individual greatness does not lead necessarily to a championship. And, and we have a society that, that values those things a bit more. But you cannot deny the all-time greatness of Ken Griffey Jr. as a baseball player and as a person, as a genuine kind, not in your face, fun-loving, good to the people around him, unless it was the Yankees person. <laughs> and I, I don't know, I always I always very much appreciated that about him. And I felt like that theme without I, I felt like that theme was shown as much as it was said in this podcast about I mean obviously people are positive about his character, but it's you just see it. He's just a guy that cares about people and loves the game of baseball and didn't have that mean bone in his body. And you don't have to be a self-destructive a-hole to be one of the greatest athletes to ever play your sport, in my opinion. Yeah, for sure. You know, he he grew up in and around, you know, the ballpark. So, I mean, he kind of knew what the expectations were. He knew what it, what it meant to be a good teammate. You can't have a better example than than the guys that, that played together on, on the big red machine, Joe Morgan, Johnny Bench, Davey Concepcion. You know, they, they welcomed one another, even though they were all from, you know, these diverse backgrounds. Even even Pete Rose, you know, at the time was was welcomed uh, as part of that crew. And, you know, I, I love the how it ended, and, and I did not recall the fact that, you know, Griffey making his, his speech in, in Cooperstown, um, he, of course, he went in 2016, 99.32% of votes. So only three people, three people said, mm. no, he shouldn't be in. Again, it was a first ballot, so whatever. But it did break Tom Seaver's record from, from 92. And in between that time, from 92 to 2016, you had all of these guys getting 95% or higher. Chipper Jones, Randy Johnson, Greg Maddox, Ricky Henderson, Cal Ripken Jr., Tony Gwynn, Nolan Ryan, George Brett, Mike Schmidt, Steve Carlton, all immediate first ballot Hall of Famers, but none of them had toppled Tom Seaver's record until the kid came along right. at 99-plus percent. And he goes in, he makes his speech, and he's got his Hall of Fame cap with the, the logo emblazoned on it, and he puts it on backwards. And it's like, even as an old dude, whatever that means and however old... He is exactly at the time. He's got the cap on backwards, and you go, man, that's, that is badass. Still the coolest guy in the room. Well, we have got big, gigantic, honking news. But first, <laughs> but first, place your bets. Place your bets on what it's going to be in your mind, in your head, because we're getting in the feel of it. Lots of things may be coming back. One thing we know is back. One thing we know is here, though, is legal sports betting in the state of Colorado through our friends, through our kings. No, you know what? I'm sticking with it. Through our kings at DraftKings Sportsbook. They have got the best betting app you can find. It's super convenient. It's really easy to use and understand, by the way, as somebody who's never done 
sports betting before. I find it really intuitive. You can use the code DNVR. In fact, you really, really should use the code DNVR when you sign up. With DraftKings Sportsbook, there's all kinds of great things. First of all, the sign-up bonus can be up to $1,000. You can bet anytime, anywhere on all kinds of different things. It looks like soon you're going to be able to be betting on baseball. There should be futures bets out, I'm sure, very, very soon once this is finalized. There's going to be uh, action on all kinds of stuff. We're going to try to get some Rocky-specific things for you so you'll be able to use your knowledge of this particular team to win you some money. It's safe, it's secure, it's a reliable betting app. You can deposit and withdraw your funds at your convenience and they're offering special odds boosts pretty much all the time. Check the app for the details. You can download it now. Use that code DNVR because for a limited time, all new users get a sign-up bonus of up to $1,000. That's right. DraftKings Sportsbook is going all out with this sign-up bonus of up to a G, a K, a smackaroon. Just enter code DNVR when you sign up only at DraftKings Sportsbook. You must be 21 or older, Colorado only. Bonus comprised of a first deposit bonus and a first bet match, each up to 500 bucks. Deposit bonus requires 25 by playthrough. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. And if you have a gambling problem, please call 1-800-522-4700. Patrick, Patrick Lines of DNVR. Got some good news I can hear it in your voice. There will be baseball. There will be baseball, and it will feature your favorite Major League Baseball players, at least according to Jim Bowden, who has tweeted that the MLBPA has informed the Major League Baseball, uh, has informed Major League Baseball that players will report on July 1st for July 24 opening day. I thought we were looking at 29, but whatever. Uh, that may have been a Jim Bowden typo. I have no idea. 60 game season in 66 days. They are both still working on finalizing safety and health protocols, which quite frankly will be something both parties will continue to improve going forward. And that's the smartest adult thing to do. No one has the answer on the health protocols. Everyone be flexible. If Jim Bowden is to be believed here, and he's a reliable source on these things, uh, then yeah, there's going to be baseball. Um, does this solve the problems between the players and the owners? Not at all. Everything we said earlier is still there. But, um, you know, I ran through the list of options earlier. What could be the an option one? This is a combination between options one and four, which is they're just going to show up and do it. We'll see to what degree they play under protest. But the major league ball players will be reporting for spring training July 1st. There will be baseball. Yeah, that. There is a, the, the health and safety hurdle is a small one that they got to work out, but it, it seems like it's small enough that I guess the players and the owners will be able to, to sort that out. So baseball is back with a period, and if you look closer, the period is actually a question mark. But it, it's a period. It's not an exclamation point because I don't know about you, but I'm not excited because even if we do get the games, it's not the game that we normally know and love. And we also are just kind of holding our breath for the coming days and weeks and months ahead. Two more players uh, have tested positive for COVID-19 out of the Phillies camp. It was also reported. So it's okay, cool. We've got baseball, but dot, dot, dot. 
but we have dot, a dot, framework dot. Yeah. for baseball is what we, we gotta, have. But yes, so we can focus on that, and that's ultimately what it is. So that that will be exciting, just to finally see that in a week from now or a week and a day from now, we'll see players yeah. on the field, yeah, and somewhere else too, because these this there's also an ongoing discussion about the taxi squad, where those players will go as most minor league clubs do not have facilities in, in double a or triple a that are nearby you know where does where do rockies players go is that they going to rent out a facility in and around the denver area one of the universities that may not be using it what if it's already what if it is being used or what if you know uh that university or college can't really look the other way and said no no Here's the guidelines. We said no one can use anything. So, sorry, you might want to pay us some good money, Rockies, but you you can't use, you know, MSU or you can't use, you know, the the field at Regis University. We don't know. There there's still some those hurdles are for MLB to worry about, not for the players. Right? That's 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 something else that we'll we'll figure out as we go along. It's again part of the reason why we have to hold our breath, but it seems like baseball is back period right and, th- and there's one thing i want to push back on just a little bit here because i've seen it out there a little bit and i don't think it's quite what you meant but you said a second you know is it the baseball we know and love i've seen our, our good friend our great friend our mask spitting friend mark knudsen uh you know make this statement as well like is it even going to be baseball he said it to us on our draft coverage like does it even like it's going to be so weird there's no one in the stands players have to do all these different things i think it's going to be weird my contention is this, and, and ladies and gentlemen, you know that while also craving nuance and everything in life, I am a remarkably simplistic person. You listen to this podcast, you understand. And my contention is this, the moment I see a professional ball player throw a baseball toward another professional baseball player wearing catcher's gear, while a third professional baseball player stands with bat in hand i will melt and i don't care i don't care if they can't spit i don't care if they can't sit next to each other it's gonna be i do care if people get sick and i care about the health ramifications um you know i i don't think that if players miss and can remain healthy and are out for time uh, there's no asterisks on my season because it's 60. To, I don't I don't care if in a healthy and safe way there is professional baseball. My heart leaps and cries tears of joy and I can't stop it. I don't care if it's different. I don't care if it feels weird. I need this, Patrick. <laughs> <laughs> Wow. Okay. You, okay. You can have it. Okay. Okay. Sorry. I'll, I'll so talk that, to my contacts. And that took make a sure different direction. Down. I'll, I will be excited make for that too. For like that. Yeah. That is the moment where I get excited, and nothing else matters at that point, right? I'm watching the game. I'm not turning the news on. I'm. I'm not, you know, looking at different news sources and saying, "Hey, what are the what are the numbers looking like in Florida?" And, you know, what are the numbers looking like where my parents live? And do I need to call them about different protocols and what's opening up and what phase? Nothing matters. But until then, all of those moving pieces are kind of a part of it. And that's why, for me, there isn't that excitement yet. And, again, they haven't passed these health and safety protocols. And we still have three-plus weeks from the start of summer training 
to the actual first game, and something could happen then. So I, w- I want to believe that, but I am kind of – my personality is that I, I'm i very susceptible to heartbreak. I'm a very mm. – I'm at a point now where I watch commercials and I can cry. Sure. I dad cry <laughs> all the time. Like my wife last night was like, are you going to cry? Like when you see Griffey and senior and junior, they're hitting home runs. You're like, oh, you're going to cry, aren't you? And I'm like, um, I might. It didn't happen, but I might. It so was what on I, the table for sure. It was. So, so I try to look at things. This is how I compartmentalize my emotions and feelings and thoughts is to say, well, what's the best case and what's the worst case scenario? And whatever happens, happens. So right. because I am not in control over it, right? I, I need the serenity to accept what I can change and what I can't. And I need to know the difference between those two things. So I'm not excited yet, but I'm very happy that we are, we're moving towards this thing. It's, yeah. it's a good day. I'm so, I will say I'm surprised I'm not as excited as I thought I would be. But I've, I've developed an ability to visualize that best case scenario and get excited about it without becoming attached to it. I don't know how I've done this thing in my life, but I've, and I think it's created some interesting analysis here on the show and over the years. It's just, it's just truth hours, by the way, as we're dealing with baseball being back and wrapping up this podcast. It's going to pour out my heart about it. But I do think there's something that too, like, like, no, I can, I can see how this would all work out. Might not, probably won't. But I like, I like living in that space for just a moment and, and, and visualizing um, the possibility. And uh, B10 Devon asking, is this year's World Series champion going to feel like a true champ? Yeah. Pro- I would say probably not, but I think it'll depend on who actually wins. If it is the best team and they dominate in the playoffs, you go, uh, all right, fine. We don't know what would have happened if it was 162 games, but they appear to be the best team. If if it's a really weird one, if, if it's, it's the Rockies. Tigers, if yeah. it's Tigers Marlins, you go, well, that really was not good. But again, <laughs> I, I, I would sign up for that. Again, oh, for I would, sure. I'm, I'm still, still fine wa- with that. I'm still watching that. We know that there is that possibility that in only 60 games, anything can happen. That's not a reason for me to say, well, then no baseball. No, we can have baseball under those parameters, even if it means, you know, you've got these subpar teams that are just playing really well for the time being. Or, you know, by the time, you know, they get deep into the playoffs, you go, wow, their their flaws are really starting to show. And they're really kind of eking out a couple victories here and there. And it's these are clearly not the best teams. But but that's okay. We can cross that bridge when we get to it. Now, what, what I would say is this, and again, this is just sort of my weird framing of, of the world around me, is that whoever wins the World Series is the true champion of the year because I think of sports on almost a very childlike basic level, almost like a pickup basketball game, right? Like if five of us get together and we decide to play 21, but we decide we're playing till 35 and that you have to win by three, then those are the rules we've established. And whoever wins, you win. Uh, if we decide we're playing till seven, and you go, well, I was making a comeback and I could have beat you if we were playing to 21. You go, I know, but we're playing to seven. Those are so, so to me, it's like the, the interesting conversation is not true champers or not. It's like if the Miami Marlins win the World Series, then I think you could fairly say things like they're the worst team to have ever won the World Series. 
but I, I, they're still the legitimate champ. We all got together and decided what the rules were. We all played under the same set of rules, and they won. And they did everything that they could to win the World Series. They, yeah. Hey, you said we had to go out and, you know, qualify for the playoffs, you know, and have, have the best record in, in our division. We did. We won the NL East. Okay, and then, then you, you set up this, you know, these, these brackets for the division series and, and the championship series. We won that, too. And then... We had to go against a team in the other league. We beat them. Oh, okay. Right. They're, they're the champs. So I, I don't think there should be an asterisk next to it. But certainly, you know, when we, when we talk about these things, we'll put that in context. That's It'll the be thing. noted. That's the thing in, in baseball. That's, that's what's so great about baseball is we can have those yeah. conversations and have context. And we don't need things to be in black and white. And, hey, put an asterisk up on this guy's plaque. And don't have this guy in the Hall of Fame because of this reason. Let's have a conversation. Let's have yeah. a conversation. So, regardless, I'm I'm up for it. Go Marlins. Hundred <laughs> <laughs> percent. Go Marlins. I'm gonna have a sip of this Strava Craft coffee and calm down just a little bit after all that excitement. I did use co- uh, promo code DNVR20 by the way because it gets you twenty percent off and it's super delicious and it's good for you, in a manner of speaking. I had one last thought on Griffey before we get out of here to, to kind of put a, uh, an end mark on that. I did want to talk a little bit about what he did against the Colorado Rockies, since this is theoretically a Rockies podcast. Um, and it gets to me again. We'll get to start talking about. Uh, I'm excited. Well, we'll see how long that lasts. But at least for a little while, there will be some time in there where we're talking Rockies baseball. In his career of 54 games against the Colorado Rockies, Griffey hit 313, on base 423, slugged 742 for an OPS of 1165, hit 20 home runs and drove in 44 runs against them. What I found most interesting, perhaps, was that he had, if I can find it here, um, reverse splits. He wasn't especially good, like against the Rock. He didn't take uh, advantage of Coors Field in any way. In fact, at Coors Field. He only hit 289, 411, but he still slugged 737. So his OPS is 1147. He hit nine, just nine of his career. What was it? 20. Uh, 20 homers. Homer. Well, 20 homers against the Rockies. Nine of them came at Coors Field. Yeah. So how many? I was going to say in his in his entire career, uh, how many home runs did he hit? I forget the number now. It was a whole 600 bunch of plus, yeah. Yeah, uh, I'll get the number. There it is, 630. Nine of them hit at Coors Field. So, And he hit his 400th home run at right. Coors Field. That's right. Which was also his father's birthday. Then he hit his 500th home run at home in Cincinnati on Father's Day. Yeah. And, you know, natural abilities, did it clean? You know, there's, there's never any hint at, you know, him possibly – you know, taking performance enhancing drugs. Well, of course, never know, but he's one of those guys where you go, it's never been as part of the discussion, never been part of the conversation. Right. We know how good Barry Bonds was, you know, as, as a young player, also the son of a former Yankee outfielder right. who, who predominantly played in, in the National League. But whereas Bonds saw McGuire and Sosa in 98 do what they did because of performance enhancing drugs and said, oh, that's what we're doing. Griffey said, I'm good. I already got my shoe contract. I'm already making these commercials. 
I've got Nintendo and, and Sega. They're all they're fighting for me for you know for those that endorsement money to make my video games. And I got my family. More importantly, I'm good. And 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 another interesting thing too that I, I dug up that that wasn't in the documentary was that since 2009, the Cincinnati Reds have been making deferred payments to Junior of about 3.5 million dollars. And they will extend all the way to the year 2024. What? So King yeah, Griffey Jr.'s doing all right. That's a good deal. That's a good deal. Well, one of the greatest to ever play the game. It was a joy and an honor and a privilege uh, to watch him when we were kids. Um, to, to really like help introduce us to how fun the game can be. And so... Yeah. Yeah, this was a great walk down memory lane. And if anybody out there has their own favorite Griffey memories, no, shoot them at us. Can you show some respect for the kid right now, Drew? I can. Thank you for turning your cap around backwards. I can do it. You know what? You're right. We got to go out of here. That's what's up. That, that's what's up. Thank we you. We got to go out of here proper. <laughs> that Griffey uh, on the back there. Uh, yeah, man. Just uh, was everybody's favorite player who wasn't on their team. And sometimes just was everybody's favorite player. Like you could even ask me at most times when I was a kid, as a, a fan of the Rockies, who my favorite baseball player was, I probably would have said King Griffey Jr. Not, and not a, a Rocky. Yeah. And he has an iconic batting stance too. So when you're in the backyard playing oh, wiffle ball or doing a home run derby, exactly. You, you can go ahead and emulate it even if you're a right-handed See. hitter. You just know kind of – how to make it look, you know, I don't, I don't know if kids today are able to really do that with the, you know, the likes of Mike Trout and Aaron Judge, unless you stand on top of a, you know, a, a lawn chair, you're, you're not really going to look like Aaron Judge, but you could look Mom's like six, five. Yeah. <laughs> like, no, you're not. Yeah. Give it that little shimmy, that little sweet swing. We all started taking our hand off our, a million little league coaches had to tell us all to stop taking our damn bottom hand off of the bat. Cause we all want to look like King Griffey Jr. And I'm the strength to do that, kid. <laughs> never, never flipped his bat yet. If you look at 95% of the swings over in the KBO, they almost all finish up high, like the kid. Like the kid. That's how you got to do it. All right. Thank you all for joining us for this oddly segmented conversation that was half about one of the greatest baseball players to ever live and half about the return of a sport in turmoil. <laughs> you know, when you mix topics together. Uh, thank you all so much for hanging out. Uh, hopefully you're following us on all the social media stuff. You're subscribed to the DNVR.com so you don't miss any of the articles that we will surely be writing about the return of the game, about whatever we're going to call spring training because it's, I don't know if you know this, summertime. Uh, <laughs> I'm sure that then very soon here we'll start having some kind of access uh, more to the players and the team, and, and we'll start getting all of that stuff for you. So make sure you're subscribed to the DNVR.com. Follow on the social media. You get some cool merch. You get yourself a DNVR hat that you can turn backwards in honor of the kid. And uh, get yourself a DNVR mask for health and safety concerns because you can look cool and be safe at the same time. So other than that, we only ask that you continue to be absolutely awesome out there. We will continue to be absolutely Patrick Lyons and Drew Creaseman in here. And until next time, we will see you at the ballpark.